everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of the Sensational Kids Show. Um, Archie and I are back this week, and we are discussing sensory processing and all of that jazz. Um, welcome, Archie. Welcome back. Nice to see Hello. you again. It's been a while. <laughs> it has been a while. Archie's got a very cool um, new haircut. Thank you. Um, as we, yeah, it's very cool. I've um, told you that I'm going to dye it blue later. Oh, very cool. What shade of blue, though? Something light, something kind of like cyan. Okay, cool. Very cool. All of it or just part of it? Or... Top. The sides would go too quick, so I have to shave it. Nice, nice. Okay, so that's uh, very interesting. So actually, that's a really good place to start because having your hair dyed is a really sensory experience, right? Oh, I have no idea. I hope it doesn't overwhelm me too much. <laughs> have you had your hair dyed before? No. You've had your hair of... cut before? Oh, yeah. Um, okay, so if you think about your hair being cut, what do you think are the sensory parts of that? Um, well, obviously, you've got, like, tactile. Yeah. I guess temperature. Um, yeah. Te detecting that count as a sensory. Yeah, but... yeah. That's part of – so temperature is part of our – tactile system okay that makes sense. yeah what about when you were using the clippers oh yes okay um that was quite difficult because it would actually really sting at times unless okay. i was being really like gentle with it yeah um i think when i go for a haircut normally it can be quite kind of nippy at times where it just like okay. stings a bit yeah so that's pain but what about the noise um you have sound right coming from the buzzers they're not silent are they that's true i don't really yeah no, that's true as well i don't i kind of just when i go for like a haircut sometimes i just yeah like, um yeah yeah lock lock down and don't yeah. feel these things but yeah and 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 this is why having your haircut or for kids it's one it's one of those um activities or functions that kids a lot of kids really struggle with going mm. for haircuts because if you think about it if they use just scissors so you're looking at yourself, right? So you've got that visual and you've got someone with scissors over the head. So they feel a bit freaked out. Then you've got hair falling all over you. Oh, and yeah. It's really good. annoying, right? That tactile issue. But you've also got someone touching you. You've got the, the, um, the barber's apron thing going around your neck, which feels mm -hmm. different. You're sitting on the chair, which is cold. She might then have cold hands, the hairdresser, or she might ask you to lie back while you, um, she washes your hair maybe. If they're going to use the clippers, there's that sound. And for some kids who are really auditory um, sensitive, right, you get this buzz thing coming to your yeah. ear. So they've got that as well. Um, and then you've got all the smells, right? So if you think about them, like putting products on your hair. Oh, yeah, those, those smells so yeah, industrial. And Exactly. And like what you were just saying about sometimes getting those little nips and cuts or like just the tiny little ones, when they spray stuff on, sometimes you get that real stinging, don't you? That burning from the, mm. so, um, so yeah, from that sensory point, hair cutting can be really traumatic. Some, You've got uh, a lot more thought into that than I did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, um, but you have to, right. You have to think about what it is that make, um, kids uncomfortable so if i were to say to you or to most people like you know joe blogs of the street name the senses you'd say like you said you said tactile you said auditory mm. what are some of the other senses 
I think I know the fancy names of them. Is it gustatory? Yeah, gustatory is your is your um taste. Visual. Uh, yeah, <laughs> visual is number four. Then you've got your olfactory. Smell. Yeah, smell. Three internal ones. Yeah. So you've got your your five kind of main ones that everyone knows, yeah. which is your taste, your touch, your smell, your hearing, um, and your taste, sight. touch, smell, hearing, and your sight. Well done, yeah. thank you, Archie. And then you've got three. <laughs> well, if you if you thought of having eight senses, we have our four that are kind of what would be our our super senses, and they would be your touch. Mm. Then you'd have your internal one, so your proprioception. Yep. Right, and you'd have your vestibular, which is your movement, and you'd have your interoception. Mm. Yeah. Yes. So, um, if I were to say to you that, in terms of proprioception, where would you think your proprioceptors are located? Yes. That's your vestibular sense. Oh, so that's okay. good. No, no, no. And so that's good. We can start with that one. We can start with your ears, which is your vestibular sense. And that's your um, vestibular apparatus, as it's called, is located in your inner ear, right? And that's all about the fluids um, in, a, like, in a nutshell, them going over the tiny little hairs and what that then does for your sense of movement. Um, so if you see kids who are constantly spinning, but it's yeah. not spinning their bodies, like right now I'm sitting on a chair and I'm spinning my body, that is not vestibular. Vestibular is when you change what your head is doing. Okay. So when you're tilting your head, when it's going backwards and all of those axes, that is all your vestibular system. I see. Right? I would... Um, an autistic person express their kind of vestibular system atypically? So um, what we'd say in terms of vestibular is that you can have, so when we talk about um, your sensory processing as a whole, so I'll come back to that question, just remind me. Um, So when we talk about our sensory processing as a whole, we talk about two kind of main areas, and that is your modulation Mm. or... um, your uh, how responsive over time yeah so hyper responsive hyper responsive but then we also talk about your discrimination your perception so being able to um to have such good tactile discrimination that i can do the little clasp on my necklace without having to look at it oh okay right being able to tie your shoelaces without having to look at my feet yeah and so that's about that that perception so it's that discriminatory part um and then we also have another part of our sensory system which is talking about our praxis so our motor planning um and that's another side of things where we look at the three main senses there would be your touch your proprioception and your vestibular so we can do a whole we I see, and that's that. why it's called dyspraxic, dyspraxia, because it's kind of like yeah. issue with the praxis system. Exactly, exactly, and it's about that motor planning and the ideas that you have in making your body kind of do unfamiliar things. Yeah. Okay, so you can kind so of categorize them. 
novel. Yeah. Yeah. So we can, you know, and so that's a whole other, I mean, that's a great one for next time. But um, if we just in terms of the sense, the senses, I think a good distinction or a good place to start is whether a, a young person or an adult or someone who has difficulties with their sensory processing, are they struggling with the reactivity? Are they overreactive or underreactive? Or are they struggling with the discrimination, how well they perceive it? Yeah. So you were asking me about um, someone and their vestibular system. Yeah. So if you think of generally, we would have kids who love being upside down. Yes. Yeah, so they yeah. seeking that movement but it's about where the head position is yeah so they're seeking to have those big changes in their head position so kids who love spinning or who love um swings so backwards and forwards that big swinging mm. and if it's faster you're gonna get a different type of sensation to if it's slowly so if you think of a baby and you're rocking the baby slowly, it's soothing and it's calming. If you think of a roller coaster where it's stop start and it's quickly down and slowly up and then you wait and then you're so think about that head position. Okay. If it's done slowly and rhythmically and calmly, you are going to it's going to be organizing and regulate, down regulating, if I can say that. So you're gonna be much calmer yeah mm. if and your arousal levels are going to go down if you are doing it really quickly so you're spinning around on the spinny chair really really fast or you are um you know going um, up and down hills and you are hanging upside down you're doing cartwheels mm. you are doing all those kind of head inversion things that's going to be a lot more alerting and more regulating so th that's where you'll get a lot of people will get travel sick mm. in a car they I had, that today. Hmm? I had that today oh did you yeah it gets i'm really sensitive to that kind of thing yeah yeah um so that's that sense of movement and you can then also have um people who feel really dizzy really quickly and it would take a long time to recover from that. Yeah. So what you could have is you could have someone who is under responding, right? So their system is under responsive. So mm. two things can happen. They can either stay under responsive and just be really slow and sluggish and just kind of just plodding along. Yeah. Or they can outwardly look they can be under responsive but they are seeking that additional input so that they can just register it at that very first instance yeah okay so what would an example of that look like of someone seeking of, movement yeah like the difference so um if so someone who's under responsive to the movement can either look like they are very sedentary and slow okay. and passive 
Yeah. So if that child were to come into clinic, I would perhaps be giving them a lot of vestibular input. So I'd be getting them to go on the swing, to go down a ramp with their head first, to do lots of spinning. And what you'll see is that child will go from being really slow to respond and really passive looking or sluggish to being much more alert so you'll see their posture will improve because your vestibular system is linked to your muscle system so they will look more alert and they'll be able to just move faster and be quicker with their responses yeah if that same child who is under responsive now they are wanting to change that themselves. So in class, that will be the child who's always running. They're always upside down on the playground equipment. Um, They will be doing forward rolls and they'll be doing tumbling and they'll want to do headstands and they'll want to like rock back in their chairs. You know, they'll sit on the teacher's um, office chair and they'll spin themselves around. Mm. Yeah. Um, And they'll do that. And that will then help them regulate. But what you can find is that sometimes it will be too much. And we then have to help them know when is too much. Okay. And when you've had too much, what does your body look like and your body feel like? Because everyone responds differently. Yeah. Um, so I've got some parents who come into clinic and they can't watch their kids spin because it makes them feel so ill. Oh, I see. Right, because your vestibular system is really closely linked to your visual system. Mm. So that's why people feel travel sick, because your body is technically still, but the the, um, mode of transportation is moving. And then when you look to the side, things look very different. So quite often it's easier to sit in the Mm. front. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so that's that whole sense of your sense of your movement and what that would look like. Okay. Now, the other part of movement is fidgeting mm. and not being able to be still constantly moving. So that would be coming back to your proprioception. Okay. okay. So your proprioceptors are located in all your joints. Um, so do you ever jiggle your legs? Oh, like, dude, I've been doing it this whole time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so you're like, you jiggle your legs the whole time. Do you um, crack your knuckles ever? Mm. Yeah. So I do that a lot. Um, I crack my knuckles. And that was interestingly something which reduced when I started my ADHD medication. And I found that actually I needed some sort of release, but because I was stiller, I didn't do that anymore. Um, and someone else um, mentioned that to me as, a, um, as well. Do you ever chew your pens or chew things which are inedible? Uh, my hands are, I need to cover these things with silk gloves or something because they are hideous. <laughs> I'm always you chew your nails? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you chew your nails, you chew the, the, the skin around your nails. Yes, you... I need to stop doing that. It like damages it. Yeah, yeah. Or like you'll find kids will or or just people who have sensory difficulties will um do things like chew their hair. Mm. So not just the braids, but actual, you know, their hair. They might do 
in a severe case, you might find that a child is chewing like a plastic um, lid or they'll chew actual furniture or something yeah. that's really common that we see is that they're chewing their cuffs mm. um, or they're chewing their tie. And oh, yeah. if you think about chewing, so if you just um, clench down on your teeth right now, like just do that, yeah, and then let go, you kind of, you feel like a bit of a release there. So it's teeth grinding. I don't know if you ever grind your teeth. Uh, no, I don't okay. think I do. Yeah, but a lot of um, people will grind their teeth. It's almost like clenching because that's, because that your jaw, um, it's like a big hinge. So it's a big joint. Yeah. And so you get lots of feedback from that. So what you'll often find is that we might, um, people who seek that additional proprioceptive input would like to chew crunchy, hard, crunchy things like carrots, or they might chew ice, um, oh. or they might chew something that is very chewy so that that they have to like tear away. So if you think, oh, like yeah, I, oh, I used to have that when I used to eat meats. There was like, um, like really chewy meat. It would get to the point where it really hurt and it was so satisfying that I couldn't stop like just chewing more meat. Yeah. Um, yeah, I remember that quite distinctly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, are there certain foods that you avoid? Do you think you're a picky eater? I wouldn't call myself a picky. I'm a very guilty eater. Um, I have to eat certain things otherwise I feel awful. Um, but I can't stand like um, very smushy textures. Like I have okay. to stay very far away from things like blueberries because um, they just make me feel real grim. Yeah, yeah. And that's because they're not consistent, right? If you think about it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you can have 10 blueberries in a pot and they would be 10 completely different textures. Mm. Yeah. And whereas if you had 10, say, Cheerios, they generally are made specifically so they will always do the same thing in your mouth. Yeah. yeah. And it's that consistency. Um, like for me, it's cherry tomatoes. Like I, I chewing into that. them, like Ooh, it's, yeah. it's quite unpredictable, isn't it? If you think about it. I can't, I can't stand mm. any form of raw tomato. Yeah. See, there you go. The uh, tomatoes. Oh, they're chewy. They're good. Yeah. Which ones? Sun-dried tomatoes. Yeah. Yeah, but that's quite different, isn't it? Because it's like it's chewy and it's yeah, it's almost predictable if you think about it. Um, so yeah, in terms of your proprioception, things like tapping or moving your hands the whole time, um, you know, kind of also looking for additional feedback by just constantly jiggling or fidgeting, not being able to like something that parents will say quite often is they just can't sit still yes. right but if you if you then say to kids and so something that i i find really quite hard is when i go into a class and the teachers are saying sit still because mm -hmm. sitting still is for me personally cognitively a very hard thing because i would if you said sit still i'd be going okay does that mean i can move my eyes does that mean I can't oh, scratch okay. my head? If you think of like that real literal side, mm. um, if you've said to me, stop moving, how am I going to actually keep regulated? Because by jiggling my leg, 
And perhaps by doodling, I stay regulated and alert and I can pay attention in like yes. a boring meeting at 4 p.m. Um, <laughs> on a hot day, you know. Yeah. So in class, these kids who are constantly um, or, or young learners who are, are moving the whole time, when um, quite often the teacher will say, can you just sit still, answer my question? But actually, that child can answer every single question when he's moving because he's regulating. He's yeah. fulfilling that need. But actually, if he has to sit dead still, that's what he's thinking about, is sitting still. And actually, he can't regulate himself then. He's not getting the input that he needs. And so he then can't actually learn or take things in. Does that make? Yeah, it's like um, I see often shared these images of like, the five things that kids should be doing in class. I have a little diagram of this small little dude it's like feet are still hands are folded eyes yeah. are alert stuff like that yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. It kind of forces kids yeah. to do that instead of learning yeah yeah so like if i go into class i see that exact thing it says um i am doing good listening because my eyes are That's it. forward yeah feet are on the floor my hands are still um my body my bottom is on my chair so all of these things and actually if you think about you know, how often we have to just move the whole time. Um, and what I say to teachers, especially at secondary schoolers, they get to walk up and down in the classroom, right? Mm. So they walk from one student to the next. They are checking people's work. They stand at the front. They sit down. They stand up. They have no restrictions in that 40 to 60 minutes of a lesson. And yet we're saying to the learners, sit still yeah. for an hour. Now, I don't know the last time that you did an activity where you sat completely still for an hour. Very few come to mind. Yeah. You know, I can't, even if you are, if I'm writing a report, I don't sit still. I will cross and uncross my legs. I will move my chair. I might move my laptop somewhere else. Or I might stand up to work. Mm. Yeah. So the idea of sitting still is just so wrong to sit still yeah. to learn. I mean, if you think about it, even if you are watching something on TV, you will change your position. Right. I often sit down and then stand up and then sit down. And then yeah. Kind of repeat. yeah, you lie down, you move your arms. Because what happens is if I don't move, if I just like recline, I'm then going to fall asleep, which yeah. happens quite often as well, <laughs> you know. Um, and so that's, you know, thinking about our, our proprioception. That is like a really, really big it's like one of the heroes of the sensory system, you know, and I'll say to teachers and TAs and new th therapists and parents and the, um, the clients we see as well as like proprioception is your, like your player of the match, you know, your player of the season. It's just, okay. it's like the rock star because proprioception can really help you to regulate, focus, to be organized. So if you think about things like going on a trampoline, mm. yeah, you're getting a lot of feedback. Um, 
And then when you couple proprioception with touch, with tactile input, it's, it's a little bit like magic happening. So okay. if you, um, so in terms of touch, we were talking about it earlier, you were saying about pain and temperature um, and you've got your vibrations, you know, and so you have specific um, senses, sensors for each of these different types of touch. Um, okay. And so what I do when I'm lecturing, I say to everyone to roll up their sleeves. So I don't know if you can, can you roll yeah. up? I'll take off oh. one of my jacket sleeves. And then that, like the inside of your arm there, if you just sit there and just very lightly stroke I'm very, it. I'm very ticklish. <laughs> yeah. So you would just kind of go, oh, and you'd rub it out. So I often see, yeah, like rub it out. Mm. So they apply that deep pressure and their faces look exactly like that because that's Dude, your life touch, right? That's grim. Yeah, and okay. you're like, oh, whereas other people would be like, oh, yeah, keep going, keep going. They <laughs> love that because we're so different, right? Um, but what you then do, so you did a whole body thing. You flexed your joints, which mm. is proprioception. You kind of did that. You like, it's almost like you were hugging yourself. Yeah. And that idea is the deep pressure, right? So when you're rubbing out that sensation, Ah. And deep pressure is overriding it. So if you think of a handshake, a really weak, like a limp handshake when someone's uncertain versus a really firm handshake. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. Or if you think of um, getting a hug from someone. And so they say, oh, someone sent me something about um a good hug or that has like healing effects is a 20 second hug, like a proper, like hug, like a big squeeze. Yeah. yeah. Cause then you just kind of like, after the first five seconds, you might be a bit like, and then you just kind of go, oh, yeah. You know, <laughs> it's, that, it's that deep pressure. I see. And so I guess that might explain um, things like weighted blankets and the need for real, like deep pressure hugs amongst autistic people. Yeah. To sort yeah. of override and simplify the sensory system. Yeah. So things like um, squeezing. So quite often um, you'll see stimming that looks like shaking. Yeah. Open and closing. So that's all the joints, if you think about it. Yeah. You have the uh, uh, joints in your wrist, or you'll see a lot of what I, you know, um, a lot of people who have these sensory differences will squeeze their hands or they'll squeeze their hands together. They might squeeze their hands into their faces like that for that real oh. deep pressure. Oh, yeah, I do that. And I also yeah. I have a tendency to like go finger by finger into my palm like that. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of, but you're not going to, you know, you might do it lightly, but quite often people will do it quite firmly because they're getting that real deep pressure and that, that deep sense tactile input which again is organizing and regulating and just um calming so if i am feeling particularly stressed i might crack my knuckles or i might just do a big squeeze like that um just to kind of just bring that arousal level down yeah are there any other examples of behaviours to override other sensory inputs? 
Um, so are there any other behaviors? More so like, like pressure. Yeah, so it should be more like other things that you can do to downregulate or to get yourself to be more alert or focused. Yeah. Mm. And that is something that is super, super, super individual. It's oh, okay. so individual. So <laughs> for example, no, but that's the, you know, the beauty of 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 being human and being individual is that I when I need to focus, I will have the TV on with subtitles. Yeah. While I'm writing a report and at the same time watching the video of the assessment that I was doing, because if it was dead silent, I then couldn't focus. So, or what I might do is if I couldn't have the extra music or things, I might hum or I might. So I'll often just sing what I'm doing or I'll just make up songs and sing (laughs) all the time because again humming is going to drown out the other noise around me but it's also going to give me this real kind of sensation in my voice box you know your vocal cords are all going to vibrate right from a music point Uh, think about that yeah so if you just kind of go uh, you get that sensation sort of like the tactile Part yeah. of being. Oh, I hadn't even yeah. thought about that before. Yeah. So if you think about um like a drum, is that a is it called percussion? You know, if you if you put, you know, you, you get these big like African drums or the ocean drums where if you put someone's hand on it and you beat it, they're getting all that input, right? If you think about oh, yeah. vibration and that feedback and how organizing and calming and regulating that is. Versus if someone was playing the flute really badly and squeakily, <laughs> um, you know, that wouldn't be, most people wouldn't find that regulating. Mm. Yeah. Um, and, and so things like, so if we, um, you know, so if you take kind of each of the senses and broke them down, it's what you can then do so generally. So say if we, um, let's do touch, let's do tactile. Yeah. And you think about someone who is either tactile under-responsive mm-hmm. or over-responsive, over-reactive. So the, the person who is tactile under-responsive they won't know if there's food on their face. They won't feel it. Oh, I see. Okay, yeah. Okay. They could be a really messy eater. Mm. Um, that person might not notice when they touched or bumped. Yeah. And if you have someone who's overreactive, the slightest bump, the slightest light touch is going to cause this massive reaction because it it sends quite often when we are over responsive to any of our our senses or sensory modalities it causes this massive fight flight fright reaction okay so if you think of someone who startles at loud sounds or if you were to um you know really hate the haircut yeah. or you don't like to be lightly touched it's that 
big kind of reaction. Okay. And it might take you a while to just come down from that. Yeah. Yeah. So um, if you if you think about that, you you can be over reactive or under reactive in any one of your sensory areas and in a number of your sensory areas but you can also fluctuate depending on a number of factors so depending on your stress levels depending on what has happened in terms of your interoception so i will often use the example of um i do not like um horror movies okay i well no I love them, but I also hate them. So, okay, because it's that reaction, right? And I like I have to sit like this and and like. <laughs> no, I would understand. Yeah. So, if you can imagine, I am at home, and yeah. our neighbor works nights, and every night at like seven o'clock, his car has this awful starting sound, and it's like a it backfires, right? Let's say. I'm just, yeah. Oh, okay. So, okay. Yeah. Every night this happens. Cool. And if I'm coming home and I am watching EastEnders, for example, I'm watching something really boring on TV. Mm. Yeah. And I've had, so I'm watching something boring, but also I have had enough to eat and drink. I'm feeling really chilled. I've, I've done my to-do list. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm regulated. And this car then backfires. There'll be a split second where I'll go, oh, well, I'll I'll register it, and then I'll go. Actually, it's nothing to worry about. Yeah, your brain does that within like nanoseconds. Okay. If, for example, and this has happened before, I am watching a horror movie, and I can remember that the movie was called Snakes on a Plane. Oh, <laughs> yes. And I'm yeah, sitting yeah. on the sofa. And it's like, it's high. I hate snakes, right? It's sure. like I'm already in this heightened state, right? My adrenaline is going and all my stress hormones are just up there. And that same car that every night makes the same noise, then makes that noise, you know, like at that moment of a jump scare and the car then backfires. My reaction is so huge. I can remember just like, screaming and I kicked my slipper off and I was oh, just oh gosh you know okay yeah, yeah so it's that type of thing so another example that I use is so yeah I get home from work um traffic was fine I've eaten I get home the kids have got say a friend around they're running around with the dog there's lots of noise but because I'm regulated because my stress levels are down I'm fine with that. I'm, you know, I can cope with that. Okay. I've had enough to drink. I've, I've, I'm not tired. I'm yeah. good. I'm regulated. Okay. If however, um, and, and this has happened and I'm, I, I use this example a lot. So apologies to people who've heard me say this before, but if, for example, I am really stressed, I've got two tribunal reports due and I have homework that I haven't printed for my son and the printer's not working. And like all of these things, right, have happened. The dogs are barking and the nanny said, oh, so-and-so locked me out of the house again. You know, 
my autistic son, that would be, you know, all of these things are piling on and I'm just in this really heightened state of emotion. Um, And I can remember saying to my husband one night is, can you please stop doing that? And he, he, he just looked at me and he said, no, sorry. He said, what am I doing? And I said, you're making that noise. And he was like, I'm literally just sitting here and breathing. And I was like, well, can you do it somewhere else? Oh gosh. Okay. Because you know how that, that like the tiniest noise sometimes can just send you over the edge, right? If you think about being hangry. And, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So all that. of those kind of factors then come into play. Okay. And so your reactivity can vary. Yeah. And, okay. and that's why we often say to, to parents and teachers, what works today might not work tomorrow. And, you know, what um, has one effect in the morning might not have the same effect in the afternoon. Okay. And so what we'll then do is the aim there is really is to teach people about their own sensory processing. And I think that's the crucial bit. So knowing how you are likely to respond. Okay. But also knowing what you can do about it and how you can affect that and change that in essence. Okay. And then that becomes a real key, a key factor in things like your emotional regulation, things like your interoception. So I can then say, actually, you might see me and think, oh my gosh, she is, um, she's really, really regulated and happy because I'm sitting there doing this and I'm like nodding. And actually what I'm feeling is, oh my gosh, I'm just feeling so tense. Can you just finish talking so that I can get out of here? Mm -hmm. Um, But we all respond differently, right? So what I may look like might not be how I feel inside. Yeah. And what I might want to do to change that state I'm in, it's going to be really different to what you might want to do or or need to do. And how that gets perceived by others. Yeah. Yeah. And and then it's, so how it gets perceived, but also then being able to advocate for yourself and, and be confident. And this is a huge one. I mean, I put this on pretty much, you know, a lot of young people come to me and say, I'd, I'd like to be able to say no to my friends and say, actually, it's too noisy for me to go there. Or um, I, I need five minutes to just go and sit somewhere quiet, you know, and know that you can do that with confidence and no one's going to think any like badly of you. Because I guess that comes with with being neurodivergent comes that whole RSD, you know, that whole rejection sensitivity of, you know, but what if people don't like me? What if they don't understand me? What if they think that there's, you know, I'm weird or, and a lot of it is, yeah, so what, you know, because you come first, you need to be comfortable first. Okay. Um, And yeah. And so I think that's a big, a big area is, is teaching. people about their sensory needs so that they can be empowered Hmm. to change how they function on a day-to-day basis. So they can know that actually 
it's much better for me to have my alarm go off half an hour before I need to wake up because I wake up really, really slowly. Oh, I do the exact same thing with half an hour. Or actually, yeah, I'm fine. My alarm goes off. I get up and that's, you know, that's fine. Or it might be that actually, you know, you can um, say to parents, actually, your son, Archie, when you wake him up in the morning for school, so imagine it was little Archie, mm. he really doesn't like bright lights. So you're going to have to really slowly introduce the natural light because that could set him or send him into a really bad mood. If you suddenly go and you open the curtains and you turn on the lights, you know, you're like that whole thing. <laughs> yeah. Whereas other people would be like, good morning, the sun is out and they're ready for that. Right. So it's, being able to understand yourself, being able to understand those people who you are teaching, understanding your kids, um, understanding the people you're mentoring and, and helping them to understand themselves so that they can then go, actually, um, you know, like you're great. You're like, yeah, I can't function early in the morning. And he's like, if we're going to chat, can we do it after 11? you know, yeah. that type of thing. Or I might say, um, yeah, these days are really bad or, um, you know, actually setting ba- uh, those boundaries and saying, I know that I won't be able to focus in a meeting or to do a talk if I haven't on this particular day done yoga first, because what happens for me in the morning is really stressful. So I have to do, say, yoga or Pilates or whatever. And if I don't have that, then I know that I won't be as regulated as I could be, for example. Yeah. Okay. But like your room is quite dim, right? Oh, yeah. I have a real sensitivity to brightness. Yeah. Yeah. So it's having that, you know, and being able to do that. So if you think of a classroom, quite often you can't. If there's one brightness setting, it, it's either the lights are on yeah. or the lights are off, right? Mm-hmm. And you've got loads of different learners. So it's, it's yeah, thinking about everyone's sensory profile, really, and how they learn best. Because um, I, I believe you learn when you are happy and relaxed and regulated. Um, yeah. Fair so. Enough. That was a very quick whistle stop of some of the sensory systems, Archie. <laughs> a very quick. <laughs> and I've just gone, blah, and you're like, oh, my gosh. No, I, think I've, I think I've taken a solid 50% of it at the very least. Good. That's great. I can see when you're like, like when you're thinking, and you're like, you make sense of things. But, um, yeah, so, you know, if you just think about say a social event do you like going out to big parties only if i'm around other neurodivergent people because then it's much easier for them to get it yeah and they tend to avoid triggering behaviors that neurotypical people wouldn't notice yeah so it's that yes i like social situations if yeah if it's somewhere I know I'm going, if it's going to be not too noisy, if if it is noisy, it's going to be a good noise, 
noise yeah. that I like, if it's going to be, if I'm going to be able to feel safe with the company that's there. So, you know, and I think a lot of that has to, is thinking about our, our, our sensory systems um, and how that can affect it. That makes sense. Yeah. So I'm really interested to know what your experience is going to be of having your hair dyed. Oh, I don't know. I'll probably have to, I'll have to do it when I stop teaching. We'll find out yeah. sometime in the vague future. Oh, I thought you were doing it tonight, having your hair dyed blue tonight. Oh, no, I'd love to do it soon, but I can't because I'm te- teaching. I, I don't want to push the boundaries. I already go in looking like this. <laughs> Nothing wrong with looking like that. Oh, no, I love it. I just, I'm, I skirt the edge of professionalism. Oh, see, that's the topic for a whole other, that's a whole other topic is what is professionalism? Yes, that's a good question. I, I imagine you could probably unearth a few assumptions underneath that. Yeah, yeah. Just in terms of what I look like, we think of tattoos and piercings and hair color. Mm. It's about perceptions, isn't it? Yeah. So anyway. Um, Cool. Right. So I hope that was uh, informative. <laughs> that was good. It's a good kind of baseline for the. A little bit. Yeah. And then we can, you know, think about, you can have a think about, oh, I'd like to know more about X, Y, and Z. Or I can send you some questions on praxis, like some self questions on oh. praxis. Okay. And we can kind of like, think okay yeah no your praxis is great or in my case oh some of my practices you know i have all the ideas but i can't actually plan it um and yeah so that's something we can maybe discuss another okay. time i do have like one very specific question go for it when you were talking about the pressure that some people exert on themselves like when i fold it up like that yeah to kind of override sensory inputs Sometimes when I have a particularly positive like sensory input or like emotion, I get this huge tingling like mm-hmm. up my like upper back and spine. And it just means my whole body goes like that. Is that a similar sort of idea where it kind of overrides everything? So, yeah, I mean, I, I have to be really honest. I don't know what that sensation would be. It's right. like uh, if it's a, um, you know, so I get you can get tingling for various reasons. So if I'm, if I have this like nervous anticipation excitement. Oh yeah. That's like, then it's a little bit like, um, you know, like I'm just like really, really, really tingly. Mm. Um, and so I might then have to move my body, rub myself just to get rid of that feeling because it's, um, you know, it's distracting me. Not that I don't like it, but it's distracting Mm. Or it could be, it's kind of like the sensation you get when someone gives you a compliment. It's that, you know, when you're feeling really proud, what happens to your body? So the tingling could just be, it's, you know, I will look into it, but it could just be a complete kind of, um, you know, reflexive reaction is that that, um, if you think of goosebumps, Oh, it's, it's very similar to goosebumps in a way. Yeah, yeah. you know, like all the muscles just, kind of relax. Yeah, and you just have this like tingling sensation. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that could be, that could just be Archie's way of of when you feel super super happy or you mm. really like when something's happening. It's strange. Um, it's it's always happened that I don't I don't know why. <laughs> but it could be 
I mean, like if you think about it, it could be, it doesn't have to be in, in relation to a sensory input. It could be in relation to something going on around you. So an emotion or, you know, feeling that true, yeah. excitement or feeling proud or just being super, super happy. Um, and I guess yeah, emotional or, triggers aren't going to line up with sensory triggers all that often. Well, some, I'd say yes and no, in a nutshell. Okay. okay. But, you know, you can, your sensory processing and your sensory modalities can have a massive impact on your emotional regulation. Mm. So like, if I'm feeling really, really stressed and I'm almost having like a panic attack, if someone gives me someone I know and like and I trust. Yes. Yeah to come into my space gives me a really, really tight hug that will then override those stress hormones. That makes it sense. will then help me to calm my breathing and then deal with that emotion when it's not so visceral. Okay. I get it's that. very, very, very complex. It's kind of linked. Yeah, it's all so linked, right? You just can't take one away from the other. And that's where our interoception comes in. Mm. I, I just, that's um, like internal things like hunger and fatigue, isn't it? It's hunger, it's fatigue, it's knowing when you're full, but it's also knowing, am I feeling jealous or am I feeling nervous? Oh, I didn't realize it was emotional. Oh, yeah. Oh, it is okay. hugely emotional. So perhaps that's something that, yeah. So your interoception is like this. It affects you. So if you think how you respond when you are hungry, mm. if you think about whether if you are feeling really, really sad, do you eat all the time or do you just not eat? You're just not able to eat. So, you know, some people will say, I just I physically can't eat because I'm feeling all these emotions. Yeah. Um, that feeling you get before an exam, you know, where it feels like ah, so you try and yeah. get kids to explain what's happening in their bodies. You know, do your hands tense or do they relax? Do you sweat or don't you sweat? What feels what happens in your organs? Do they feel like they're tingling? Do they feel like they're vibrating? Um, and then it's teaching those very specific emotions of guilt, of jealousy of embarrassment of anger of apathy and knowing what that feels like and i will send you a link to an amazing amazing emotional dictionary that i just got and i've actually just ordered like five more copies of it for the Ooh, clinic okay cool. because it's got some really really good ways of describing some uh, emotions for okay. yeah Oh, interesting. I guess so, that's particularly yeah. helpful for like alexithymia um, and people who struggle with emotions identification. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And just knowing what is this feeling, you know. That's, um, I'd love to talk about um, interoception if that's if that's all right. Because I, I didn't yeah. realize it was to do with emotions as well. Yeah. Let's do that next time. Mm. It's a plan. I'll do, I'll do a light studying for it. Not too much. Enough to be surprised when I learn things. Okay. No, that would be great. But um, yeah. So... Thank you for this week and yeah, I look forward to seeing you another time.